This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Hi, this is David in San Francisco. I'm currently at the airport anxiously awaiting the arrival of my brand new puppy. This podcast was recorded at 10.52 a.m. Central Time on Friday, November 3rd, 2023. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but I'll still be caring for my little furry potato. Okay, here's the show. (laughs) Congrats. Oh, congrats. A cute little thing. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Ashley Lopez. I cover voting. I'm Deirdre Walsh. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And today we're going to take a look at the new Speaker of the House, Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson, and the challenges he's facing. Deirdre, he seemingly has the support of his fellow members after a very fraught election. But one of the things a speaker has to be able to do is help raise money, right, for candidates up and down the ballot. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not necessarily a thing Johnson's had to do before. Not at all. I mean, and he has big shoes to fill. You know, the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, raised all together with all the various super PACs uh, and political operations half a billion dollars, $500 million in the 2022 campaign cycle. Um, Even House Republicans who support Johnson say those are huge shoes he's going to have to fill. He's going to need a lot of help from people like McCarthy, from people like the head of the House Republican Campaign Committee, Richard Hudson. So far, he's done pretty well. In the few days after he was elected, he raised a million dollars from grassroots supporters, But that's a long way from the sort of big donor corporate relationships that McCarthy developed over many years uh, in House Republican leadership. That's a lot of pressure, not to mention the added pressure that is a potential government shutdown now just two weeks away. I mean, what's the strategy to try and avoid that, especially that issues related to government spending and bipartisanship helped bring down Kevin McCarthy? Right. I I think Republicans don't want to go there again. I mean, after the three-week drama of not having a speaker and not being able to function as a House, there will be some grace period for Mike Johnson, and there will be some kind of stopgap bill. Right now, Johnson's talking about something that could take government funding through potentially sometime in January. But the details are really still really up in the air. Um, And there's a lot of pressure on him to step into this role and negotiate with people like the Senate Majority Leader and the president um, when he doesn't really have relationships with any of these people. Domenico, like Republicans and Democrats have to figure out a way to work together on these things. I mean, how tight of a rope is Johnson walking on here? I mean, we're talking a couple of weeks here until the government is set to shut down again, unless there's funding to, you know, keep the lights on in the government. We say this over and over again. I feel like we've said it so many times. And, you know, He's really trying a lot of different types of methods to try to keep the party together to be able to give them things uh, on one end that'll make uh, the right wing of the party happy. And then on the other hand, make uh, the moderates uh, happy about wanting to keep the government going. And he's going to have to also do that not only to get legislation through his conference, but he's going to have to get legislation through that can then be agreed upon by the Senate and the White House. They also have this you know, responsibility as well. And we've seen how difficult it's been for past speakers to do this. And he's going to face a major test here very quickly. 
Yeah. And if that weren't enough plate spinning in the air, we have to mention the struggle involving aid to Israel and to Ukraine. I wonder what you make of this added, I guess, struggle for whoever's in that seat. I mean, I I think it's a tough road for Mike Johnson. And previously in the past, he's voted against aid to Ukraine. He's now signaling that he's open to moving a bill that ties it to border security, which is obviously a very popular issue within the Republican base. I mean, I think he passed this first test of passing this bill that did present this $14.3 billion aid package to Israel, but also linked it to this popular idea among Republicans to, you know, sort of claw back funding for IRS enforcement. But Senate Republicans I talked to are sort of like, what's the end game? They understand he needed to pull together something that would bring House Republicans all together after what they just went through. But but they're not really clear on what the end game is to essentially get all these things done that everyone agrees are a priority in terms of aid to Israel. It has overwhelming bipartisan support. There's also bipartisan support for aid to Ukraine. And Deidre, let's remind folks that Johnson was one of the Republicans who voted to decertify the election. And he has also supported a nationwide abortion ban. I mean, this is pretty great fodder for Democrats, right? Right. And they're obviously jumping on those positions. I mean, as speaker so far, Johnson has talked about the fact that his positions are ones that he's taken, but he's the speaker of all House Republicans. He's going to work with members. I talked to some moderate Republicans who've said he's assured them he's not pushing this uh, national abortion ban as the speaker, even though it's something he's backed. I should also say, you know, there are 147 House Republicans who voted against certifying the 2020 election. So it's, you know, it's a big chunk of the House Republican conference. So it's not necessarily an unusual position. And House Democrats were going to paint whoever the new speaker is as, you know, a MAGA extreme uh, House Republican speaker. With Johnson, there is more of a voting record on culturally conservative issues for them to dig into. I sat down with Susan Del Bene. She's the chair of the House Democrats campaign committee, and they are very focused on linking all House Republicans uh, who voted to elect Mike Johnson speaker to his voting record. While he may be unknown to folks, I think a lot is coming out every day about where he stands and how extreme he is. Uh, you know, as someone who wanted to overturn the 2020 election, someone who wants to see a nationwide abortion ban, someone who wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. The other point that Del Benny makes is every House Republican voted to elect Mike Johnson as speaker. So, well, there may be some moderates in some of these swing districts in California and New York who don't agree with him on issues like abortion, who don't agree with him on his position on the 2020 election, they voted for him. So Democrats are going to try to tie all of them to Mike Johnson. Well, look, the thing is, every party uses whoever the Speaker of the House is in a lot of their campaign ads and a lot of these districts to be able to say, hey, this is what that party represents and they're too extreme and this is why you should go for the other person. You know, right now, I would venture to say that not many people know who Mike Johnson is or have an opinion about who Mike Johnson is. So there's a period of time he's going to have here now over the next few months to be able to define himself, to be able to publicly, you know, go forward in the way that he wants to most represent how these candidates are going to be able to run and, you know, what the Republican Party stands for. 
Yeah. I mean, that being said, do you think like the average voter, one, knows or two, cares about whatever the Speaker of House is up to? Well, the thing is, Johnson is not well known at this point, but he's going to have a lot of FaceTime on television. He's going to be at the press conferences and his profile is going to be raised more and more and people are going to learn who they are. I mean, look at what Republicans did with Nancy Pelosi and putting her in ad after ad, you know, really kind of demonizing her. Um, And, you know, Democrats have done the same with uh, people like Kevin McCarthy, for example, though not quite as successfully because he wasn't in the job for very long. But this is the kind of thing that the more attention he gets, the more he's going to be associated with the party writ large. We're only a year away from the election. So I think, you know, over time, Republicans were able to build up this image of Pelosi among the Republican base, and they used it effectively in some midterm elections. But I think the challenge for Speaker Mike Johnson is, can he govern? Can the House get things done? Can they avoid a shutdown? If things blow up and go off the rails, like we saw during the three weeks where there wasn't a speaker, that is more of a problem for him and Republican candidates, likely just sort of on the basic test of should this party be able to keep control of the House if they can't run it? Okay, let's take a quick break and more in a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLlearning.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXLlearning.com. Before we get back to the show, a quick plug for our bonus episode out this weekend. We'll be answering some listener questions and get a little behind the scenes look at our coverage of the speakers race these past couple of weeks. You can hear that if you're an NPR Politics Plus supporter. If that's you, thanks. If that's not you, it could be. You get bonus episodes like this one, sponsor free listening and support the work we do. Sign up at plus.npr.org politics. And we're back. Let's look at New Hampshire now. It's the first primary in the nation for the 2024 presidential election. Republicans are campaigning hard there. And Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor and ambassador to the U.N., is gaining ground on Donald Trump. Domenico, what's causing her rise here? Well, you know, it really started with this debate that she had uh, over the summer that she did a pretty good job in, the one that Trump skipped. He hasn't gone to any of the debates. And she had a pretty good showing there. 
And, you know, we're seeing a rise in some of the issues that Haley is pretty strong with uh, around the world. I mean, if you think about the when foreign policy becomes something that is an issue, you know, she's a former ambassador to the U.N. from the U.S. So, you know, some of these issues are in her wheelhouse. We were also seeing really Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, just continue to not impress as a candidate. And he's, you know, was supposed to be the Trump alternative. He hasn't been impressive as a candidate. Donors and the like have just started to kind of wander away. And I think it's also very difficult when you're Ron DeSantis and you're saying, I'm going to be Trump without being Trump when a significant portion of the base still wants Trump and the alternatives don't want Trump. What is your lane exactly? You know, and Haley is sort of starting to pick up on what that means. And, you know, we look at a lot of national polls. This is really a time to start looking at the state polls. And you're seeing Haley really start to spike in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. And if she can finish ahead of DeSantis in these places with South Carolina coming up after that, where she was a former governor, she really has a legitimate path to being the principal alternative to Trump. Yeah, and I wonder what you make of why Ron DeSantis is struggling so much and hasn't seemed to be able to break out of that. You know, DeSantis has just from the beginning gotten bludgeoned by the Trump campaign, even before he got into the race. His popularity nosedived among Republicans while these withering attacks were taking place. And he thought that... You know, he had enough of a reservoir of goodwill where he would do well enough. But he's had a reputation as somebody who doesn't really love campaigning, isn't really great on the stump, isn't somebody who likes to go and shake hands and do rope line things. And when you don't seem to be a political athlete who likes being in the arena, it makes it really tough if there's all these expectations and you're not living up to them. Yeah. Well, still a few months out from the primary, though, but a lot can change. Uh, Meanwhile, President Biden, who is not on the New Hampshire primary ballot for Democrats, has a new challenger in Minnesota Representative Dean Phillips. Deidre, he's not exactly a household name as much as anybody in the House can be one, right? Right. Uh, What kind of lawmaker is Dean Phillips? Tell us about him. He sort of has this moderate centrist Democrat profile. He came in after the 2018 election and he was one of the House Democrats who even as a candidate before he was elected was challenging whether Nancy Pelosi should continue on as speaker. He was pushing for what some Democrats at the time called a new generation of leaders. So he has been on this bandwagon about raising concerns about older elected officials. That's obviously the key platform. He's running on against Biden right now, raising concerns about his age and competence to continue in the job at a time where Dean Phillips is also pointing to a lot of the state polls that Domenico is talking about, where Biden is trailing a head to head matchup against former President Trump. So, you know, in terms of his profile in the House, he's not, you know, a top leader. He was elected to a lower level leadership position as Mm. part of this effort that Pelosi had when he came in to try to keep a sort of a regional balance of Midwestern Democrat, more of a centrist. He had to step down from that job because it was causing a lot of, you know, consternation among his colleagues because he was challenging the president. You know, it's really difficult because you don't normally have somebody come in to challenge a sitting president of the same party. And usually when that happens, the sitting president winds up 
having a difficult time winning re-election. And it, maybe it's a chicken and egg thing, uh, but it does indicate a degree of vulnerability from Biden and one that conservatives are more than happy to press forward on. I think the big issue for Dean Phillips is what is his vision for the country? You know, I mean, he's really right. only taking on Biden's age, talking about how he's, you know, perhaps the only Democrat who could lose to Trump, which, you know, from a data standpoint, that just doesn't hold up. But that's the kind of message that he's pushing. And you really need a policy foundation to be able to stand on. And he doesn't have a lot of policy differences with Biden. Now, a place like New Hampshire has never been about the delegates because there aren't very many delegates there. It's about headlines and momentum. And, you know, it's going to be an expectations game. If the write-in campaign for Biden, because Biden's not on the ballot in New Hampshire, New Hampshire decided to continue to go first. The DNC wanted to move up South Carolina to go first. You know, if the write-in campaign for Biden loses to Phillips and the White House and campaign are seen as attached to that and really made an effort, well, then it's going to not look great for Biden. So it's really going to be a measuring stick of, you know, expectations on this write-in campaign and whether or not Phillips is going to be a real thorn in Biden's side or just a splinter. The other thing about Dean Phillips is he's saying the quiet part out loud. There are a lot of Democrats in Congress who are concerned about Biden's age and his ability to compete in 2024 in a lot of the swing districts, right? There's a very small margin. There's an opportunity for Democrats to win back the chamber. But in some of these swing districts, there are concerns about Biden's ability to campaign and whether or not he's the right person to sort of hitch your wagon to and be on the ticket. But Democrats over and over I talked to on the record continue to say Biden's policies are popular, right? There are a lot of infrastructure projects that are now, you know, generating jobs in their districts. There's new chip manufacturers who are bringing new opportunities to their districts. So they believe, you know, lower prescription drug costs and pocketbook issues are going to be popular. And at the end of the day, Democrats will come home and given the choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, they will turn out for Democrats. Yeah. And this is why, you know, members of the party are keeping the quiet part quiet, right? Like, it seems like the difference between Dean Phillips and everyone else is that he seems to not mind making the party mad in a way that other Democrats are maybe more reticent to. Well, the party thinks that's a huge risk that could get Trump elected again. Yeah. And, you know, that's a difficult part of, yes, they are concerned about Biden's age. It's his biggest vulnerability. But at some point, it's what is the decision that you're going to make? Who are you going to nominate? Is there somebody who polls better? Is there somebody who is better? Is there somebody who gives you a better shot? And, you know, the first time around, a lot of Democrats held their nose to vote for Biden because they just didn't want Trump to be in office again. And, you know, if you're going to have somebody who's going to be an agitator, who's going to throw the message off, it's going to give them a lot of agita. The other thing Democrats tell me is, you know, look who Biden's likely opponent is, right? Donald Trump is not that much younger than Joe Biden. So they think that makes the issue sort of a wash. Well, they hope that's the case, although Trump, of course, comes across sometimes as a younger late 70s person. (laughs) But, you know, he's had his own missteps on the campaign trail, frankly, that haven't gotten as much attention because it doesn't fit the narrative that, you know, he's old and all of this. But if Democrats start pushing that message and start putting together some of these clips on the campaign trail that we've started to see from Trump, it could mitigate some of this age conversation if Trump winds up being the nominee. 
Yeah. Okay, there will be more to watch as the campaign continues. We'll take a break for now, and when we come back, can't let it go. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message comes from NPR sponsor JLL and their podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. It's gone through some upgrades recently, and it's churning out valuable insights on the industry to help you stay informed. Each week, you'll tap into a global network of commercial real estate professionals and hear about market trends, strategies, and best practices. So broaden your perspective. Subscribe to Trends and Insights, the future of commercial real estate at jll.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash NPR. And we're back. And it's time for Can't Let It Go, the part of the show where we talk about the things that we can't stop thinking about, politics or otherwise. Deidre, let's start with you. What can't you let go of this week? The thing I can't let go of is these things called super shoes. So I admit I'm not a runner. Hmm. I'm a fan of marathons. I went to school in Boston, so I used to go to the Boston Marathon. And so I'm all, I'm just sort of fascinated by people who run marathons. And recently, I think it was the Chicago Marathon, the winner set this crazy new record. In a previous marathon, not that long before that, in Berlin, the female runner sent a new marathon record. And I was like, what is going on? How are people running so much faster yeah. now? And it's because they have these things called super shoes. And basically, the big athletic uh, shoe companies, Nike, Adidas, are creating these new running shoes that basically you just wear to run a marathon. And they have carbon plates in them huh. and these funky soles. Ooh. Like if you look at the picture of the the Nike shoes that the winner of the Chicago Marathon wore, they're like these funky, foamy soles, but they're super light. Like, I don't know how they put a carbon plate yeah. in a shoe and make it lighter, not heavier, but it propels runners faster. So I'm sort of fascinated. I'd like to try them on. Maybe somehow <laughs> I can... Help you walk around <laughs> walk around the Capitol. Well, and I will say uh, reporters at the Capitol now pretty much always wear sneakers because it's been kind of a crazy pace to keep up with in all these scrums. Yeah. So I want some super shoes for my scrums. I have never uh, done my grocery shopping so fast right. in my life. <laughs> so, Ashley, what can't you let go of this week? Um, also on the topic of shoes, ah. um, what I can't let go of this week is a story about menswear this week in Politico. Specifically, Republican Florida governor and presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis's choice of footwear. So folks on the internet have noticed something funny about like the cowboy boots that he's been wearing on the campaign trail. And Politico asked three expert shoemakers what they make <laughs> of his shoes. And these experts are pretty much convinced that DeSantis has been wearing lifts in his boots. Uh. The consensus was that they're like an inch and a half tall lifts. Wow. 
Yeah. And I don't know. I will say like one of the bootmakers in the story said it was very common for politicians, especially here in Texas where I live, to have some lifts added to their cowboy boots. But I think this whole situation raises some interesting questions about, you know, masculinity and politics. And we should note the front runner of the Republican nomination is like a tall and big man. And I'm assuming this is like something that weighs on the minds of people like DeSantis as they're vying for the nomination. I thought it was fascinating that Nikki Haley picked up on this when she was uh, yeah. you know, talking to Charlemagne the God on The Daily Show, which, by the way, that's its own thing. The fact that Nikki Haley was talking to Charlemagne the God uh, <laughs> yeah. I think was another conversation. Yeah. But she was talking about how we'll have to figure it out. I can tell you I've always talked about my high heels. I never hid from hid that from anybody. I've always said don't wear them if you can't run in them. So we'll see if he can run in them. Wow, um, that's some shade from mm, Nikki Haley. That is, that is, yeah. uh, that is out in the open. I feel like every presidential cycle, there is always a story about the height of one party's nominee versus the others. Maybe we just need to let go of that and just sort of like judge people on their <laughs> political platforms. Well, yeah, yeah I say this as a yeah. vertically challenged person. So good. that's maybe that's where I'm coming from. Good, good <laughs> luck with that. Right. I mean, that's Americans. I mean, I will say I feel like we should leave the lying about your height to like dating apps and then just like let it go. <laughs> um, Domenico, what can't you let go of this week? Uh, you know, it's on the same vein of masculinity, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm talking about yeah. Bobby Knight's uh, death this week. He's the former uh, legendary yeah. college basketball coach, coached at Indiana, won several national championships. You know, look, I'll get it out of the way. First of all, I'm a former uh, high school basketball player. Um, I, you know, learned a lot of Bobby Knight's you know, offenses that he had invented. My dad was a coach. So I've lived sort of under this idea that he is like this great coach. He's a brilliant tactician, but he's also a bully. And this was somebody who was what was thought to be what men were supposed to be like. You know, you're tough. There's a certain way about doing things. Uh, You don't talk back, you know, and it was this psychological kind of warfare, a lot of fealty that he demanded from the people below him that he didn't necessarily return a lot of that loyalty to a lot of those folks. And everywhere he went, there was another controversy that surrounded him. And I think that it's an interesting discussion and debate about the type of men and uh, what it means to coach and how you're supposed to coach kids. And I think that the culture has really moved away from the Bobby Knight style of things to a different place. And I think, frankly, that's a good thing. I agree with Domenico. I also wonder if someone like Bobby Knight could succeed in the NCAA right now. I mean, just yeah, like... I don't think so. I just remember the viral chair-throwing moments, right? Those would be on SportsCenter. Yeah. But also the the way he talked about his players and how sort of tough and could be very demoralizing to some of his players, I don't think that would fly in a culture where social media and viral moments, um, any of those at a practice that could go viral, I just don't think a university administration could could really tolerate that kind of behavior from a coach. The good thing is that we have seen a culture change mm-hmm. around that. And there's a very different way that people consider how they should be trying to motivate kids. Yeah. Alrighty, that does it for today. But before we go, we want to take a moment and thank some folks who have been key to making this podcast for the last couple of years, who are moving on to some other exciting things with our team. Eric McDaniel, who you heard yesterday on the pod, is reporting on Congress. And Elena Moore will be reporting on young voters ahead of the 2024 election. We're thrilled to keep them involved with us in a different way. It's not a goodbye, but a see you very soon. 
Our executive producer is Mithoni Maturi. Our editor is Casey Morrell. Jung Yoon Han and Alina Moore produced today's podcast. Thanks to Krishna Dev Kalamar and Lexi Shapital. I'm Ashley Lopez. I cover voting. I'm Deirdre Walsh. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, senior political editor and correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org.